Well, good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be back with you again. And we are on week four, final week of our series called uh, Together. And I hope it's been a help to you. I hope it's been an encouragement and a blessing to you as we're thinking about our roadmap back together. You know, our government is thinking and helping us stage by stage beyond the lockdown. But of course, even as the church, we're negotiating that journey. And for us, we are journeying into our togetherness and what that means to us practically on the ground. But, but I hope this has been an encouragement to you as we've been seeking to make that journey as a community together. And on week one, we looked at the idea of designed for together. Week two, we looked at the idea of living together from Psalm 133. Last week, we looked at walking together from Ecclesiastes 4. And then fittingly, as the last one, we are looking at the idea of going together, going together. Now I've got uh, one reading for you and then another verse from another part of the Bible. So if you've got your Bible with you or close to you, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 19, the first six verses. And then we're going to jump, and it is a jump, uh, over to the book of Acts in the New Testament, <clears throat> chapter 1, and we'll read verse 8 together. So it's Exodus chapter 19. Now, let me just set the scene for you. In Exodus 19, Moses has led God's people out of slavery, and they've now journeyed to the foot of Mount Sinai. In fact, they're going to spend about a year there uh, once they reach this point. And that's the point where God gives them the law. He gives them what we would call the Ten Commandments. He starts to shape them into a dynamic nation, built on the word of God and built on the life of God. And so this is the beginning of this process. So some of the things that we're about to hear are really important because they're right at the beginning of that process. And then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 1. And in many ways, that's also a new community beginning. Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, his young disciples, this community of people, about 120 gathered together. They're about to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they're about to be launched into the world. So you've got an Exodus uh, uh, chapter 19 and in the book of Acts chapter 1, you've got two communities together about to hear what God wants them to be and where God wants them to go. And so we're going to see the echo of these in both these passages. So Exodus chapter 19 Verse 1, and it says, It's in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt. On the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now, now, that's a, as a little tip to us, when God says something like that, the next bit we really, really got to listen to. And it says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Just let me repeat that last little statement again. He says, verse five, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And now we'll fast forward to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And now it's Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to this new community. This community will become known as the church. And he says these incredible words. In fact, they're his last recorded words to them before they launch into their mission. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wow. John, how are those two things connected? Well, uh, fasten your seatbelt. We'll bring them together in just a moment. Here's the first idea I want you to really see, and it's such an important one for us as followers of Jesus, is that sometimes when we think of mission, we tend to think of it in a very individualized way. So I tend to think of God calling me, God asking me to do something, my responsibility in the context of serving Jesus and serving my world. And of course, that is, that is absolutely fantastic. And I wouldn't push back on any of that at all, except to say this, that actually some of the most dynamic images of mission in the Bible are not focused on the individual, but they are focused on the community. And we've got two of them here. These are two of the massive standout statements in both the Old Testament context and the New Testament context. And what's interesting in both of these moments, that God is not speaking to just individuals. You should do this, John. You should do this, Jemima. You should do that. He is speaking to the community. And he's calling the community into mission. He's calling the community into purpose. And he's calling the community to go and do what they have to do. Let me, let me show you this from Exodus chapter 19. What does God say when he, he's speaking? Now remember, these are words that God is giving to Moses. And Moses is going to pass these words on to the people. So remember, they've gathered at the mountain of God. They're about to spend a year there. This is a big big moment, God is starting to shape his ideas into this former slave community and now a community of free people. So what God's about to say, these opening words are really, really important for us and we should listen. How does he describe his people? He describes them in two ways. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What has just happened? Well, God has called his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He has called his people now at Mount Sinai to himself. He's making a special a covenant, a special agreement with his In fact, the, the agreement God makes with Israel, it's never been seen the likes of before. It's an incredible idea. So he's called them out of Egypt. He's now called them to himself where he's making an agreement. But why does he do that? Because he's calling them for something. He wants them to become something. He wants them to be a dynamic representation of him on the earth. Not just as an individual, not just Moses, not just Aaron, not just Miriam. The whole community, the whole nation are being called and they're being called in the context of these two dynamic ideas. Number one, kingdom of priests. Now, here's where lots of lovely Christians get confused because we hear the term priest and then we think of 
Aaron and his priesthood and all that stuff in Leviticus, all that ceremonial stuff uh, that Aaron uh, and his descendants, the Levites, carried out. And actually, this reference to kingdom of priests has nothing to do with that because God will call a priesthood out of Aaron and they will look after all that worship stuff, all that ceremonial stuff, all that stuff we read about in Leviticus and, and even into the book of Numbers. They're going to take care of all of that. But this is something different. God is calling the nation, the nation, everybody, not just the Levites, not just Aaron. He's calling everybody to be what? A kingdom of priests. And the idea here of kingdom of priests is that they would take God and carry him to the nations. That actually that God always intended that his people would be ambassadors priestly ambassadors who would carry him to the nations of the world. And this was always his desire, always his plan. And in fact, later on, when God's people sort of get stalled in that idea, they don't really do what God intended them to do. He raises up the prophets. And over and over again, the prophets remind them of their call as a kingdom of priests. I love what Isaiah says. When Isaiah says, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. That actually, this is a community that was always intended as a community to take God to the nations. As a kingdom of priests, they're not just facing up the way. They're not just facing in the way. In fact, as this kingdom of priests, they are facing out the way. They are to take God and carry him to the world. As a kingdom of priests, they were given the task to export as it were, forgive my language, but to export God to the nations. They have something special, special relationship, special covenant. What are they being asked to do? Not to keep it to themselves, but they're being asked to export this special relationship, export this special covenant to the nations of the world that are in darkness. And it's dead easy to miss that. When people hear kingdom of priests, they tend to think of that ceremonial stuff and that's not what God is referring to. He's calling his people here to be a missional community. They're being called to take him to the nations of the world. And as if to back that up, there's a second statement. <clears throat> They're not just called to be a kingdom of priests, but what? They are called to be a holy nation. Love that beautiful language. And in fact, what's really interesting, if you read the book of Genesis into the book of Exodus, you see this development that, that God calls a man, as it were, with his family, uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah, he calls them. That, that family becomes a tribe. That tribe becomes tribes. And then those tribes eventually become a nation. So you get an individual becomes a family, a family becomes a tribe, a tribe becomes tribes, and the tribes become a nation. And in fact, the first time Israel, God's people, are referred to as a nation is not by, by someone in-house. They're referred to as a nation for the very first time in the Bible by a Gentile. It's Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1 refers to them as a nation uh, and, and sees the identity of this community in a most dynamic way. And this idea is then picked up by the Lord. So when the Lord calls them out of slavery and he brings them to Mount Sinai, here's what he wants to do. He's now wanting to form them 
into a nation. A nation with, as it were, boundaries and borders. A nation with behaviours and beliefs. A nation that would be distinct in the way they believe, in the way they behave. A, A nation that follows God in such a way that the other nations of the world would look at them and go, oh, that's what God looks like. That's what God is. That's what Yahweh is like. They would look at God's people and see God demonstrate it in their example. What's really interesting for some of you who love this stuff, and it's worth examining, that before God gives them the land, he gives them the law. In other words, he wanted his word to live in them before they lived in the land. His people were never meant to be identified by a land with a border. They were meant to be identified with the word of God that was living in their behavior. And this is so important for us that, that, that actually when they get into that land, they, they start to forget that stuff. They start to forget that, that they are there to behave as a holy nation. They are there to demonstrate God in the ordinary, routine, and every day of their lives, in their finances, in the way they raise their family, in the way they treat slaves, in the way they treat their enemies, in the way they do justice, in the way they do law, in the way they do their sexuality. It's all there in the law. It's all there in the Torah. And actually, as this community models this, they were to become a dynamic example of God, not because of where they lived, but because of how they lived. And sometimes people get identified, and God's people get identified with their geographic boundary, but that was never the point. The point was not where they lived. The point was how they lived. They were to be examples. And when God speaks of a holy nation, that's what he means. So so when we're looking at a kingdom of priests, they're being called to what? Export God to the nations, this missional dynamic. But when we look at a holy nation, what are they being asked to do? They're being asked to example God to the nations, that the nations would look in on them and see what God looked like by the way they behaved. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 42. Beautiful words. He says, I, the Lord, have called you. That's you, the community, the nation. I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now here's the danger. So often we read those passages and we translate the you as singular. You know, God has called me, John Andrews, in righteousness. God has called me to, to into a special covenant. And, and that's a beautiful application. But the danger with that is we miss the power of the we in that context. That actually God hasn't just called John Andrews to be part of the holy nation. He's called us all of us to be part of that holy nation. He hasn't just called a specialist to be a a priest to the world. He's called all of us to be priests to the world. Every single member of destiny is a priest for God onto their world. Every single member of destiny is part of God's holy nation. Every single one of us are called to export God and example God. We're called to take what we have as a community and share him. We're called to example him by the way we believe 
and by the way we behave. And I love that. They were given the Torah, as it were, God's instruction, God's word to be an example to the nations. In other words, when we put kingdom of priests and holy nation together, we see these two dynamic ideas. They were called to show and to go, and they were called to example and to export. They they were called to show and go, example and export. They were called to go as a kingdom of priests. They were called to show as a holy nation. They were called to export as a kingdom of priests. They were called to example as a holy nation. And when we move into the New Testament, we get exactly the same idea picked up. It is unmissable connection if we are prepared to follow the glorious breadcrumbs of this idea. Here's what Peter says to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you, speaking of the community, so it's not an individual, it's not a, it's not a, a singular you, it's a plural you there. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Have we heard that language before? God's special possession uh, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is an unmissable reference to Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. We, we have to work our buns off to miss that connection. That's absolutely there. Here's what Peter's saying to the church. You're the chosen people. You're the royal priesthood. You're the holy nation. You're God's special possession. And you've been called to declare his praises to the world that is in desperate need of his love, his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. And just as God's people in the Old Testament were called out of slavery and called to him at Mount Sinai and called for him by being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, so the church of Jesus Christ, literally that's what the church, the word church means. It means called out ones, called out community. We have been called out of sin by Jesus. We have been called to Jesus, to a special relationship with Jesus. And we have been called for Jesus to take him to the nations of the world. And that brings us beautifully to Acts chapter one, verse eight, the last recorded words of Jesus to the church. You know, when you're reading the Bible, every time God says something for the first time, really, really pay attention to that. If there's also a final reference, that's worth special note because often it's in the first reference and the final reference, you pick up little clues that are so, so important. And in the last words of Jesus, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says these words, you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two little words here that make a massive difference. The first little word is you. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And the you here is not singular, it's plural. He's not just speaking to Peter and he's not just speaking to John. He's speaking to the whole group. He's speaking not just to that group, that 120 who would eventually be filled with the Spirit in chapter two and start the process of going. He's speaking to every follower of Jesus in that you. He's speaking to you in that you and he's speaking to me in that you and he's speaking to Destiny Church in that you. And he's saying, you, you will receive power. You 
will be my witnesses. You will go on my behalf. And I love that. I love that. I love this idea that actually to reach the world, they would need a plural you. We cannot reach the world unless we do it together. We cannot reach our community unless we are going to do it together. No one individual will be able to do this on their own. When I was a boy growing up in church, I used to hear this phrase all of the time and, and, and I've pushed back on it since quite strongly. And people would say this, one man with God is a majority. Now I know what they meant. I, 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 I grabbed the spirit of that. I grabbed the essence of that. And often they would refer to a, a person who just surrendered their life to Jesus and Jesus did extraordinary things through them. And I accept that idea. So do not hear what I am not saying on this. But I want to push back on that in this regard. That actually every time we see a dynamic commissioning to mission the world in the context of the scriptures, it is to a community, not just to an individual. Oh yes, Paul receives an individual call. Oh yes, Peter, he becomes the apostle to the Jews and Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. I get all of that. I accept all of that. It's beautiful. But even all of that is in the context of this plural you. It's the idea that you will go and you will be my witnesses. And I love that. I love that. And it's important for us as a together community that we embrace the together of mission. That mission is not the domain of the expert. Mission is not the domain only of the paid staff. Mission is not the domain of your small group leader. Mission is the domain of the you. We are that you. And that you comes to all of us. And I love it. That's the first little big word in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Here's the second little big word, and. And. Many people read Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and they sub, subconsciously insert then. And they read it this way. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But there's no then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. None. There's none. The word is and. It's and. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The and is only possible if the you is plural. That's the point. We can't live in a dynamic genius of the and unless we embrace the plural of the you. That, that's the whole point of this. Jesus is saying you collectively, you as a nation, you as a kingdom of priests, you can be my witnesses in all of these places at the same time. If you go, if you embrace the call, if you embrace the challenge, if it's left to a few individuals, we'll never make it to the ends of the earth. It will become a then. It'll be a then. Well, when eventually we reach Jerusalem and get enough people, well, then we'll go to Judea. Then we'll maybe make it to Samaria. And, and well, we might eventually make it to the ends of the earth. But no, no, no. By the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has reached the heart of the Roman Empire. There are people who are followers of Jesus in Caesar's household by the end of the book of Acts. And the reason is because the you became a plural you in their thinking and therefore the and became a dynamic possibility. And is only possible if you becomes plural. And that's the idea. 
And that's the challenge. And it's the challenge I want to leave you with as we are now preparing our hearts towards Pentecost, as we are thinking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and interestingly, Exodus chapter 19 was, was the sort of Old Testament version of Pentecost. It, Shavuot, it's, it's the moment when the, the law was given. It's the moment uh, seven weeks after they were delivered uh, from uh, slavery. Uh, and Pentecost comes seven weeks after Passover. And you've got this amazing coincidental moment that, that at Exodus chapter 19, God, seven weeks after they're delivered from slavery, starts to impart something of his heart and his passion and his word into them. He gives them this amazing law. He gives them the Torah because he wants them to become a kingdom of priests and he wants them to become a holy nation. And here we have in the book of Acts, moving into chapter two, seven weeks after the Passover, and you get this dynamic outpouring of the Spirit. And the reason the Spirit is outpoured is to turn 120 people into a kingdom of priests is to turn 120 people into a dynamic holy nation so that they collectively will go and so that the and will become a possibility. In a few weeks' time, we'll be celebrating Pentecost. We'll be celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit, which I know for this church is a dynamically important idea. And it should be an amazingly important idea for every Christian community. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit came, He came on the community. They were all together in one place, in one accord. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came. Why? Because they were together. And it's really interesting. In the book of Acts, every time the Holy Spirit comes in a dynamic way, almost without exception, the, almost without exception, he comes on a community of people gathered together in one heart. In Samaria, in Cornelius' household, the disciples of John, the Holy Spirit comes on that community. Why? Because there's something dynamic about together. There's something that draws the heart of God when we are together and when we understand that together we are called to be a kingdom of priests and together we are called to be a holy nation and actually together we can be both. We can go and touch the nations of the world. We can embrace the genius of the and because we live the dynamic of the plural you. And actually, I believe we can see something happen among us, in us and through us that is truly, truly extraordinary. Extraordinary. And God has not placed the future of the world into the hands of a few brilliant people. He has placed the future of mission in this world into the hands of his community. All of us together, you, me, us, we, we are called to be the kingdom of priests, exporting him to the world. We are called to be the holy nation, exampling him by the way we believe and behave together as a Christian community. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we are called to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that something of a revelation of the dynamic truth of we as a community, of you as a community, will grip our hearts once again. 
Forgive us, Lord, for the moments when we have individualized mission, individualized our experience, even individualized the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, although we believe in the power of all of those things to us as individuals, we, we, we do, we believe that, we accept that. Forgive us for making that the sum total of our understanding. Lord, you want to fill me as an individual so that I can be part of a filled community. Lord, you want to call me as an individual so that I can be part of a called community. Lord, you want to use me as an individual so that I can be part of a holy nation and a priesthood that carries you to the nations of the world. And so, Lord, just as you called your people at the foot of Sinai to be a kingdom of priests to export you and to be a holy nation to example you, Lord, just as you called those young disciples gathered around you and told them that they were to be filled with the Spirit so that they could be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that each of us, each of us together, together, together will be in one place in one accord. And Lord, we dare to believe that in one place and in one accord, you can do something that only you can do. Add, adding to us something dynamic, supernatural, and other to this community so that this community can become everything you called it to be and everything you designed it to be. So Lord, I pray for your grace your goodness, your loving kindness, and your mercy on every man, woman, boy, and child. It's part of Destiny Church. And every person listening to these uh, services online uh, and, and connecting with this fantastic house, I pray that, Lord, you will raise up a spirit of togetherness, and, Lord, you will raise up a royal priesthood, and you will raise up a holy nation, even in this place, even in this area, that will bring glory to your name and allow as it were, uh, your light to shine in the darkness and lives to be transformed. So Lord, we look to you, we thank you, and we ask that you will help us, bless us, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.